Keep She Shatters and She Burns fans, this is Hannah Austin, your host for the She Burns podcast. I'm excited to announce that my first book, Hello Head, Meet Heart, is now out on Amazon. For more tips, tricks, and ways that you can burn bright and not burn out, visit me on Amazon at Hello Head, Meet Heart. Happy reading! Welcome to the She Burns Podcast, the go-to podcast for women who were born to burn bright without burning out. When you're at the top of your game, the difference between handling the heat and boiling over comes down to the right self-care advice at the right time. And if you're ready to take your seat around the campfire, these interviews with inspiring women will help you keep your flame alive. everyone. I'm Hannah Austin, and this is the She Burns Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Linda Weston. Linda has more than 30 years of senior leadership in tourism, professional sports, and the entrepreneurial ecosystem. She's advised dozens of organizations from nonprofits to early stage companies on operations, strategy, and leadership. In 2017, Linda launched Reporto, a consulting practice focused on executive coaching and helping organizations to improve their governance, strategy, fundraising, paving the way and solutions for their challenges. Since 2017, Linda has served as a capstone advisor in the University of Oregon's Executive MBA program. She is currently the past board chair for Travel Portland and has served on the board for Social Venture Partners Portland. Welcome, Linda. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor. First, I just want to start out by saying that you are one of the highlights of my entrepreneurial journey this far. Meeting you and receiving some mentorship from you has been so important and has meant so much to me. So thank you. That's very sweet of you. Thank you. So let's start. (laughs) Mutual love fest. (laughs) So let's start here. I know a little bit about you professionally and your background. But for our listeners, can you start with where you're from and what was growing up like for you? So I was born and raised in Eugene, went to the University of Oregon. I actually quit college to marry a professional baseball player and thus did a lot of cross-country moving, moved 13 times cross-country in two years. Uh, It is a great way to learn where you do not want to make your permanent home. Uh, I am a Northwest person. I live in the Northwest because I love it here. And although I love to travel, I cannot imagine living anywhere else. Thank you. I didn't know you were an Orgene girl. I didn't know that. Eugene. Okay. So in looking back at your childhood, what lessons did you learn at an early age regarding maybe what having it all was supposed to look like as a woman living up and growing in Eugene? You know, I'm not sure I did learn that. I grew up in a family that didn't have much, but shared whatever they had. There was always another seat at our dinner table. I I look back now and cannot imagine how my mother stretched some of those meals. However, I did grow up in a family where my mother always worked. You know, she told me later on that her dream had to be a fashion designer in Paris. She was very creative and she was a professional seamstress for a time. But she also grew up during the Depression, and that just wasn't an option for her. But I admired how creative she was and how she always managed to deal with everything with the family and at the same time work. 
And so in that sense, she was a real role model. I mean, she would get me up in the morning for school and there would already be a couple of pies in the oven. And again, I look back now and I cannot imagine how, how she did that. Do you think she stayed up all night or what do you, how do you think she made that miracle? She the pie miracle? Oh, dark 30. Every morning. <laughs> and was she, she, she was always in motion. She could not sit still. So she just got a lot done. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson I got from her is it's like, you have to get things done. Get things done. Yeah. So it sounds like there weren't really any expectations, but what you saw was you're always in, you should always be in motion and get things done. Were there any verbal expectations placed on you that you remember, or was it just seeing your mom getting things done, getting up at zero dark 30 and thinking, gosh, that's, she was successful. I was happy with that. I'm going to do the same. You know, uh, the verbal stuff really came from my dad. My dad used to tell me all the time, you can be anything you want to be if you set your mind to it. And again, looking back, I'm not sure I realized at the time how valuable that was, but he was always very encouraging and supportive and very proud of me and what whatever I achieved. There was also the expectations that I would be an A student. My dad served on the school board for probably 20 plus years. No pressure there. No pressure whatsoever. I mean, it was just, it was understood. You will do whatever it takes and you will you will bring home nothing but but A's. He was a real believer in education. He had been awarded a full scholarship to Purdue as a basketball scholarship, but was unable to go because the family was too poor to have him leave the farm in Indiana. So education was really, really important to him. And so did that become important to you then? Was that something that you just knew that you had to do because the expectation was there and he believed in you? Yes, exactly. That's awesome. So as your career evolved and you're growing up and you're going to school and you're getting those A's, you know, you've had a lot of leadership roles. I've only literally sampled a couple of them when I did your intro. But during any of those roles, did you ever go till you couldn't go anymore and have a burnout moment? Did you ever run out of fuel? Almost always. (laughs) (laughs) You know, by the time I uh, started work at the, what was then called the Convention and Visitors Bureau in Eugene is now called Destination Marketing Organization, Travel Lane County. I was a single parent. I was divorced and I had a young daughter and sort of juggling all of that with a travel schedule that was probably 60 to 65,000 miles a year and figuring out how to manage all of that was very challenging. And my way to relieve stress during that time period was to, uh, to avail myself of the wonderful walking trails in Eugene. A friend and I walked four or five times a week along those riverbank trails and probably a five mile walk that we could do in a little under an hour because we were both tall with long legs and (laughs) and could speed walk. But it was a great way to sort of take that break and relieve the stress a bit. Did you do that on the weekends or kind of throughout, throughout the day or when did you choose to do those walks and did you do it alone or always with someone? Almost always with someone. And typically at the end of the day, I would be the first to say, I am not a good morning person. So morning gym time or exercise has never appealed to me, but it was a great way to unwind at the end of the day and have a conversation with a good friend who also worked in a high stress job. 
So we were leaning on each other and basically during those walks, either venting or baking, thinking about recipes or talking about how you were going to overcome, or was it a basically a, a vent session or did you not talk about work? You know, it was sometimes a venting session for both of us, just life discussions, really. We were like the sisters that we each of us didn't have. That's so important. I think having a, another woman or a community that you can lean on, and especially we talk a lot about wellness and getting out there in the um, environment and nature and physically walking just kind of really gets that stress relief. It was a very healthy thing for us both to do, I think. She also worked in a very high stress, very demanding job with a lot of travel. So you were a single mom at the time with a daughter, is that right? And then you would be traveling as well as working, it sounds like a lot, um, reaching out and leaning on your women friends. How did that situation impact your daughter, would you say? And looking back, or you know, I was very fortunate in that I was able to arrange schedules to that I could leave work. If she had, she was very athletic and on a lot of athletic teams, I could always leave work and be there. If she had a play at school or a performance of some kind or an athletic event, I could always be there. It meant that I might work later that night or something like that, but I was able to carve out that time. I remember one time a soccer banquet that I flew in from having attended a conference, took a cab to the location where the event was, dropped my bags and took my at the back of the room and took my seat. But the point was, I was, in fact, able to get there. So you had the flexibility. You were working a ton. Did you, it sounds like after work, then you would take walks to kind of break up your day. So you're, you were working, you were so tired, but you'd still go on the walk. So it was kind of your relief. But then would you work late into the night? And did she see that happen? Did she see that it was kind of like mom is a 20, 24 hour mom, but she's also a 24 hour worker. Yeah. And that work ethic uh, had translated to her. I mean, she got her first job at 14 and worked all through high school, even though she was competing in sports and she also wow. worked all through college. So and looking back, Linda, so it sounds like obviously your daughter was raised well. We'll get a little bit more into that. But what advice would you give that version of yourself with the knowledge that you have now? I mean, you said earlier, you don't think you really learned the lesson of burnout, right? You're still kind of going through that. But what advice would you give that version of yourself? If you can kind of look down on her, peer down on her today, what would you say? I think I would advise that version of myself to set boundaries sooner and to learn to say, Thanks, but I don't have time to do that right now. Yes. You know, that's, I will be the first to admit, that's something I still struggle with. It's an ongoing battle as it is for many of us, but I would have sort of paid more attention to those gut feelings then. Do you think there was red flags along the road of your career or your life where you, there were signs that said slow down or caution or stop, pause, reassess, that you just were like, didn't see them or weren't wanting to acknowledge them because women don't stop. I think it's more a case of not acknowledging them. The, the one time I did acknowledge them, when I became the CEO at that organization, I started getting recruited by other similar organizations in other places. And what I decided was, wh why would I move to Los Angeles or back East or someplace like that? When my daughter was thriving, right. my parents lived in Eugene, so there was a set of grandparents. Her dad was there. 
why would I uproot her and take her to someplace else just to satisfy a career urge? I mean, it, it, you know, boiled down to what's the most important thing for you. And the most important thing was her. And I don't regret for a second the decisions I made. So that was a red flag. I think I paid attention to, you know, it's very tempting when you're offered more money and perhaps a more prestigious role. Yes. But you make the decision that you feel is the best for you at the time and what's more important to you at the time. Right. And family and being with your daughter and, uh, you know, you had a great support system there. So yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you listened to that. So you talked a little about setting boundaries. So one of the things that we do at She Shutters is obviously give and teach women how to have tools to set boundaries, how to say no. Do you feel like you had the tools? Did you know how to set boundaries and say no, or did you just not do it? I think there's a difference between a lot of people aren't raised on what a boundary is, how to set them versus actually have the tools in your tool belt, but actually use them. I don't think I had the tools in those days. You know, you just said yes to whatever anyone wanted you to do or asked you to do related to your job or your work or the volunteer work that you did. You said yes. I wish I'd had the tools then that I have now. I didn't. I I learned those the hard way. What would those tools look like? I mean, when you think about today, I mean, this isn't a, it's not like um, with your generation that stopped and all of us now have all the boundaries and we know what to do. Uh, We may have um, more resources or different resources, but what would be like one thing that you would have, you would have been like, God, that would have probably helped my career immensely. You know, it, it started with a conversation with my daughter as she became an adult. Her observation was that mother, you need to feed your soul. Wow. And I thought that was very profound of her, and I really gave it some thought. And that's something I tell other women now. For me, it was as basic as I often did not take a real vacation. I took time off work, but I would just stay at home and do a staycation. And it became really clear to me that when I did that, I was still sort of on call. People were calling me at home. They were still wanting me to do stuff. And well, that's the only time I can meet with you. So it dawned on me that what I really needed to do was be totally gone. Yes. And so I started making plans and, you know, once you buy the airline ticket, you're committed. (laughs) Exactly. Did you find that you wanted to go like internationally or places that had no self-service? So it was almost like an excuse that you couldn't? In some ways. Yes. Yeah. In some ways. But just the fact that I had purchased that airline ticket, that was a commitment. And it meant that, hey, I'm going to be out of the office. I love that. Did you feel like because you were such a yes person and you didn't set boundaries because, you know, you weren't putting yourself first, you were putting others first and the organization first. Did you find that once you started doing that, that people were like confused or like, wait, Did you feel like they were judging you in a way? What kind of got you over that hump? Because I know when I was working and I would take time off and I'd come back, my coworkers would say to me, well, you look rested, but then it would only take a couple of days for me to get back (laughs) to stressed and burned out again. So how did you manage that like feeling guilty? You know, it took a while for people to accept it. And I experienced the same thing later at OEN. You know, when we're talking about me being in Eugene and working in the tourism industry, Email was just beginning. Got it. Right. 
But you you fast forward 20 plus years, and what I discovered at OEN was that uh, people would email me 24-7, and I created a monster by replying right away. And so I, I created that set of expectations. Yes. And when I finally set the boundary for myself, okay, I am not responding to email on the weekends until 7 o'clock Sunday night. Good. I would look at them, and if there was anything that was a crisis or urgent, okay, fine. But by and large, I didn't respond. And when I would respond on Sunday evening, the person would come back to me and say, oh, my gosh, I emailed you three or four times, and you didn't respond. It's like, yeah, I didn't. You know, I was watching my grandchildren play soccer. I spent the weekend at the beach. Right. And it took a few weeks, and then all of a sudden, it was okay. Do you think it's a case of, you know, setting that boundary around you and and showing people that you're still that Linda that was get back to them and you'd still provide the value? What you valued the most was your family and yourself over work. Exactly. You know, it really didn't take that long for them all to be okay with it. Right. I own the fact that I created that set of expectations by my own behavior. So I was the one who had to change. Yeah, I think that's resonating with a lot of people. I know it resonated with me. I think you and I talked a couple months ago about, you know, it's, I would say it's 50% your own stuff and 50% the organization that you choose to work for, right? It could be the workplace culture. But then if you are, so you and I are similar, like you were responding back, I respond right away, you respond right away, like we're almost doing it to each other. I do think there's a culture in a lot of organizations where if you do teach people that you're going to be like that, you also get sometimes more work. And more people asking you to do more because when you're the one responding, you're like one of the only top five people that are responding and getting back to people in a timely manner. So, of course, people are going to gravitate and give you more work because you'll get it done. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And I think that's a trap we fall into. It's the old adage about if you want to get something done, ask a really busy person to do it because they get stuff done. Absolutely. plays into that whole learning to say no and saying it graciously. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Figuring out a way to say, I just don't have the bandwidth to do that right now. And I don't want to be one of those people who says yes, and then let you down because I don't have time. Absolutely. So that works well when you work for someone, right? So you worked for OEN, you worked for a variety of companies, but then pivot in your mind now to being your own boss, right? So when you have so much to do, you're saying no to yourself, right? So you have like this, I'm an entrepreneur, (laughs) I'm a bad boss, but I'm a good boss. I'm a good employee. I mean, you're the employee and you're the boss at the same time. So what do you do in that case? How have you shifted that lens? Because that's a real interesting juxtaposition. The, The weird dichotomy is that it is easier for me to do now. As part of my semi-retirement, I have set very, very strong boundaries around my work life and my free time. So a couple of examples are, I typically do not take appointments before 10 o'clock in the morning. Because you're not a morning person. It's Well, I'm number one. That's exactly right. (laughs) I'm a morning person. It doesn't mean I'm still in bed, but it means I'm drinking my coffee, I'm putting in a load of laundry, I'm reading the news, unless it is absolutely the only time that a client can meet, no meetings before 10 o'clock. I try to keep a couple of days totally clear to do whatever I want. 
not always successfully, again, because I, I want to be able to accommodate my clients, but really setting strong boundaries. One of the most important things for me in retirement is travel. So I have sort of trained my clients that they're not surprised if I say, I am going to be gone between this date and this date. So we need to meet during this other time period. And they're all okay with it. We laugh really about my my traveling. Obviously that came to a grinding halt during COVID, but I have been much better about setting those boundaries and about saying no. I do a lot of volunteer work because I am highly motivated to give back or to make a difference. But again, I don't want to be that person that says yes and then lets the person who's made the ask down by not being able to do to to give them the time that they really need. So when I say no, I always suggest who might be able to be a good fit. Yes. So that always being gracious enough to refer them to somebody who might be able to take a certain project on. And I think that's key. I think that's key because it gives you grace to be able to say no and protects your time. I think it gives another person an opportunity to get those business or never woman or whoever. It also gives the other person an opportunity to know that that's how business should be done, right? If I can't do it for you at that time, I have another person in referral. It also makes your network bigger. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned from you, just working with you the last couple of months has been, you know, a lot of people, but you're a good networker and connector, but it feels like you're also still involved, even though you're passing it along. So that's a real, a great skill. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, mentoring women over the years, right? So whether you've done it inadvertently or they're watching you, because you know, when you're in a senior level position, there's a lot of young women and men that are always watching what you're doing. So it sounds like towards the end of your career, you're getting better about setting boundaries and saying no. It sounds like your daughter was so insightful to bring up that question about self-care for you. So what have you shared with the women or people in general, your entrepreneurs that you're working with about setting boundaries and how to not burn out? Are are you sharing, telling them or are you just showing them through example or both? I think both. Again, you know, I'm not afraid to tell them, hey, I'm going to be at the beach for three or four days and I'm going to be offline. Mm -hmm. You know, if you tell them that up front, they, they get it. They would like to do that as well. But when I am, I'll use clients as an example. When when I am working with a client and they're so stressed, um, one client a year or so ago say, you know, I think my wife is ready to divorce me. It's like, well, when was the last time you went for a walk around the block? Yes. Well, that that's not like a date. I said, it doesn't need to be a date. You know, make some peanut butter sandwiches and go sit in the park. Yes. Something small. It doesn't have to, I think people, a lot of people think they have to do like big, bold moves when really it all it takes is a small. Yeah. I mean, the conversation was, was about, she just wants a little bit of your time. Give it to her. Right. You know, take that 30 minutes and literally go for a walk around the block or sit on the front porch with a glass of wine, just the two of you. Now that I think about it, I've had that conversation multiple times with clients who are in startup mode because it's, you know, it's a really, as you are learning, it's a high, high demand, high stress job. And if you aren't careful, it will eat you alive. It's not good for your mental health. And you need your partner to be there for you and you need to be there for your partner. So carving out that time 
no matter how small it is. I mean, I don't care if you do the dishes together, but it's it's carving out time together. I'm really adamant with them about that. I have one client who now every day goes for an hour long walk with her spouse. Wow. And she makes that time commitment to do that. Are, are you like a, an accountability coach where next time you meet with her, you say, how's the walk? I absolutely asked <laughs> that question. I love it. <laughs> if you could say, or kind of describe globally, kind of one thing, if you could pinpoint to say to our listeners today about self-care versus kind of keeping that internal flame alive, what advice would you give to our listeners? There was just one thing that they could do. You know, I think it's easy for you to think you get into that mindset that you have to work 24 seven for your job. And the reality is if you step away, even briefly, your brain will be refreshed and you will come at that job or that project with renewed energy. And it doesn't make any difference what it is you do to, and I'm just going to use that phrase, feed your soul or right. take that break, go for a walk, go work in the garden, go for a swim, read a book. If cooking is your thing, go cook something. Whatever it is that gives you the mental health break, do it. You'll be physically and mentally healthier and you will have the ability to find renewed focus on whatever project or work you're doing. It sounds like you've done a lot, obviously, out, outdoors. I know you do rafting and you take walks and you like being outdoors. But it, you've, you've interjected a couple of times regarding community involvement and giving back. And that's, I think, something really important. You know, you've had an amazing career. You're still obviously working, trying to taper it down. But people are coming and probably banging on your door every day still. But as far as like volunteering I read an article the other day about when women are feeling burned out and they're feeling like they have nothing left to think about volunteering for an organization that feeds their soul. Now that seems a little counterintuitive to me because it's like, I'm already tired. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. And I'm going to give more of myself. What is your take on that? When you're kind of at your lowest of your low and you're feeling like you're losing, you're losing steam and giving back to others. Do you think that real refuse you in some way? I, you know, I can only speak for how it, fuels me and it and it does refuel and sort of rejuvenate me. Um, I have always been motivated to give back uh, over my career. I have served on a lot of different boards and done a lot of different kind of volunteering. I enjoy it. It is also a great way to build your network and it feels really good to help people. Yes. I think humans by our our nature like to be helpful. Mm-hmm. So when, when I give back, it may be serving on a board or doing a special project for an organization. I've done a couple of special projects in the last year for social venture partners. But it might also be sitting down with an entrepreneur. I get two or three messages a week from entrepreneurs that say, so-and-so said, I should talk with you. Would I you know. be willing to talk with me about your company, including you? I right? know. <laughs> Thank you. And I never say no to that. I find it fascinating, interesting. It's energizing for me. I want to hear what people are working on. I want to know if there's a way that I can help them. Can I connect them to somebody that could open a door? Uh, That may not work for others. I know one person whose way to do that is to be a reader for the Smart Readers program. 
I know one who does volunteer work at the Oregon Humane Society. For me, it is meeting one-on-one with somebody and hearing what it is that they're struggling with or trying to figure out and seeing if there's a way that I can be helpful. I don't find that exhausting. I find it energizing. And that may not be the case for everybody. That's just what works for me. Thanks for saying that. Cause I think, I think you're right. It's, it's finding when you're burned out, something that energizes you, something that gives you hope. One of the things I'm also working on right now is addressing fear versus curiosity and how can you explore new avenues when you're so f- feeling fearful or in a dark place in your current life? Could you be curious about another area? And it sounds like what you're talking to me is uh, saying to me is basically reaching out to other areas or looking at the communities or talking one-on-one with people and saying, what are you doing out there? What are you doing that's good and different in the world? And then getting some inspiration too. That never hurts. Yeah. I would describe myself as naturally curious about the world. I'm constantly asking people questions. It's how I learn. Uh, the editor of the business journal told me a year or so ago, boy, you would have made a great reporter because you can just ask one question after another. And it's because I'm naturally curious. Yeah. Learn the most amazing things about people. One of the things I used to ask new board members was, how did you meet your spouse? Oh, I love that. It's fascinating the <laughs> answers you hear or ask them, what do you do when you're not at work? That's a really open-ended question. You just never know. It is. I mean, but I've learned the most interesting things. There was a board member who liked to dig snow caves and go camping. There was a board member who was a CPA, but really wanted to be a landscape architect and couldn't wait to get out to the garden. I mean, you, you learn really interesting things about people that help color how you build your relationship. Yes. With that is perfectly said. I think in a lot of people just don't know. I mean, when I was a manager or a leader, I was curious too. So I asked a lot of questions and they were like, what am I under attack? Like, you know, you're, you'd be a great reporter too, but I just was curious about them. What makes them tip? Where did yeah. they grow up? You know, what do they do outside of work? You know, and I asked them these two questions too that are coming up. So great, great segue. Okay. So this next part in the podcast is my favorite part. Here's why I get to ask you some fun and food for thought questions. So are you ready? I'm as ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> okay. So if I told you that you could be seven years old for a day with no responsibilities or worries, what would you spend your day doing? Playing at the beach. Playing at the beach? Yeah. In, in Oregon or any beach? Pretty much any beach, but my happy place in Oregon is Manzanita. Oh, I love the Azadita. Oh, love their, they have a fish and chips place at, down at a, a bar down there. Super good. Yes, they do. <laughs> okay. Well, I would be right there beside you at the fish and chips place. I love that question. It's very fun. But here's uh, a question that's a little bit more reflective in nature. So please answer the following statement with the first response that comes to you. If you really knew me, you would know that I... Sorry for the silence here. No, this happens all the time. So no pressure. It's, I love this question because it's truly, you're probably thinking in your mind right now, well, should I say like skydiving or something? Or do I go a little bit deeper and be vulnerable? Because those are the questions that people go in their mind right now. If you really knew me, you would know that even though I am a relationship oriented person at heart, I am an introvert and shy. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, 
I mean, I've had to get up on stage and make a speech to 800 people, but I'm, I'm a mess before and after. <laughs> we were an organized mess, it looks like, so you do really well. <laughs> what did you think about those questions? I'm always curious what people's thoughts are. I think those are really good questions. They sort of get to the heart of who people are. Mm-hmm. I mean, the playful, the playful part and then the more intrinsic part. Well, but even the playful part, my answer now in, in retrospect, it uh, leads right into the fact that I'm shy and introspective. I'm playing on the beach. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, I can't believe our time's over. I know it went really quickly. Hopefully it wasn't too painful for you and you did a great job. I want to thank you so much for your time today. I love, I wrote a couple notes here, what, what you said about what your mom was showing you and what your dad was telling you as a young girl and what you learned from that. And then the fact that, you know, burnout can happen multiple times and you can learn something different from every single instance of burnout and recovery and learn new skills and new tools. And your aha moment can come from your daughter. It doesn't have to come from a boss. It doesn't have to come from within. It can be your voice of reason is your daughter. And that's really special. So thank you. Yeah. And that was the second time she had given me an aha moment. Do you have enough time to hear the first one? Yes. Yes. So the first one was when I was being recruited out of the tourism industry to be the general manager for that startup women's pro basketball team. And I really agonized about it. They kept coming back to me and kept coming back to me, but I'm not stupid. I know the failure rate on startup sports leagues. And it meant walking away from a 17-year career in which I had some fairly significant standing. And finally, we were talking about it one day. And finally, one day, she just looked at me and said, Mom, what's the worst that could happen? And I said, well, smart girl. Yeah. But the worst that could happen would be that the league would fail and I would be out of a job after having sold my home here and moving to Portland. And she just shrugged her shoulders and said, so. So you did it. Wow. So I called the league founders back that night and said, "Okay, I'm in. Wow. And you haven't looked back or regretted it since? Ever. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight you today on the podcast was just your story in general and of like going for it with without apologies, being afraid initially, but just doing it. And like your daughter said, what's the worst that can happen? And you taking advice from your daughter and making it work. And it was probably one of the most profound moments of your career when you think back on it, you know? It really was. It really was. And I have asked numerous people that same question when they're in transition or struggling with a decision. What's the worst that can happen? And the worst that can happen is never as bad as you think it's going to be. Right. And it can lead you down a new path. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is, to your point earlier, it's curiosity and possibility and taking that leap. And as long, as long as you, you know, have that safety net of, you know, your support system like you have um, and your daughter, that's so important. And you're showing her that to walk through fire and walk through fear to get to something pretty exciting. That's a huge lesson. So it was a win-win on both sides. She taught you and you taught her. So I think so. I think so. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for letting me.
Yeah. So I just wanted to highlight again, just what a, a true leader you are in the Portland community and obviously uh, across the country. I'm sure you've traveled internationally as well. So I am just so grateful that you're here with us today and appreciate you sharing your knowledge and story with us and your vulnerability. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hearing Linda talk about her journey really reminds me of how impactful it can be when we get to dig deeper into women's backgrounds and hear their stories. It also reminds us how important it is to have women like Linda in our lives to help pave the way for women leaders in our community. As women, we are all searching for what lights us up, and together we can learn how to burn bright and not burn out. To our listeners, for more information on Linda Weston, please visit her website at www.reportoportland.com. Thank you for joining us on the She Burns podcast. We are so grateful for your time, energy, and support. For more tips, resources, and tools on how to burn bright, please visit us at sheshatters.com or on Instagram at sheshattersllc.